Welcome to A Second Chance at Life. I am your host, Arvella Beckworth. Adversity can oftentimes feel isolating, especially if you're the strong friend like me. I created this podcast to be your accountability partner and strategist, giving you the tools to build and enjoy the life of your dreams. Each week, you will hear motivating stories, life-changing interviews, along with actionable tips and strategies that you can apply to do life over again. So whether this is your second, third, or even fourth chance, it's always a great time to start over and build better. Now, let's get to work. Hey, hey, ladies. Happy Monday. Today is the final episode of season three, and I figure I would let it go out with another oldie but goodie, but it's a banger. On this episode, it's called Lessons of a Bad Relationship, part one. If you guys want to hear part two, make sure you go back and it's going to be season two, episode seven. And this is where Janet Lewis actually concludes this particular interview But it gets better. Once you hear this one, the next one's even better. So I wanted to make sure that I left you guys something good for season three. But don't forget, season four starts next Monday. So if you have not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe now. So let's go ahead and jump into today's episode, Lessons of a Bad Relationship. Okay, ladies, so this is the interview I have been talking about for the last few weeks. I met this lady a couple years ago, and we have really became good friends. What I love about her, she's transparent, she's funny, she's honest, but most of all, I love her testimony. She's been through some things that most people would probably stay down, but she decided to get up, make a change in her life, And today, you would have never known what she's about to tell you that she's went through. So let me go ahead and bring my girl on. Janet, what's up, girl? Hey, guys. Hey, Arvilla. How are you? I'm doing good. Ready to do this much-anticipated interview. Right. (laughs) Long time coming. Yes. (laughs) So I want to get started because I know you have a beautiful testimony Please tell these ladies who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Janet, formerly known as Beauty. That is my trucker name. I am an over-the-road truck driver. I have been driving team alongside with my husband for the last three and a half years. Hey! Drive both long and short-haul routes, transporting a variety of different cargoes, Um, medical equipment, uh, auto parts, groceries, etc. You name it, I deliver it. I've been fortunate to travel to different cities all over the United States, which has made my job fun, wonderful, and gratifying. <laughs> not to mention, not to mention, this profession allows for a greater scope in terms of future job prospects um, within the industry like becoming a business owner and owner owning, I'm sorry, and owning your own trucking company like myself, Beauty and the Beast, B&B. So go ahead and tell me a little bit of, 
about your background. I know you told me a little bit, but let the ladies know where you're coming from, because obviously you have a story to tell. Okay, well, I come from a loving and strict family growing up. I grew up on the east side of Los Angeles. I was adopted by my aunt, which is my mom's sister. My mom had an accident after she graduated high school, and she wasn't able to take care of me or my other two siblings, which I'm the oldest of three. So growing up with my aunt, she was very strict. She was very militant, and all she wanted was the best for us. You know, education, college, career. I don't know what it was that she seen in me. Um, I know I was, like, very friendly, you know, very open. I call myself a social butterfly. But whatever she seen in me, she just knew I had too much energy, and um, it needed to be in the right places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, she, uh, put me on birth control because she thought that, uh, I was into boys, mm-hmm. uh, which I was, um, she say this thing like, um, you can pull the wolf over my face. You can't pull the wolf over my face. It was something like that. It was, <laughs> it was something that them old folks from down south say, you know, right. you can't pull the wolves over my face. I'm like, what is she talking about? You know, um, but she knew the truth. You know, um, I didn't understand her then, but I understand her now. You know, mm-hmm. she gave she gave me love. I mean, we had we had a roof over our head. We had food every day. We had the best Christmas, the best Easter's, the best birthdays. You know, we had the best of everything. We went on trips. You know, um, growing up, I never flew so much. Growing up, my school before she took us out of the uh, community school. Our school with tracks. It was called track A, B, C, and D, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you remember that? Yeah, we were on tracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so whenever we were on vacation, she would fly us to, you know, different states to visit different family members, you know? In the summertime, we would go to the uh, Orange County Fair, uh, Magic Mountain, you know, Disneyland. I mean, we would go fishing, you know, we had a camper. We were some fortunate kids growing up, you know, but she was very, very militant, you know, very militant. She needed to know where I was at all times. You know, she had me in drill team and she would always contact the drill team uh, manager, let them know, you know, to let her know when I was on my way home because she knew exactly how long it took for me to get home. I used to write a lot because I wasn't really good at verbally talking to someone I didn't know. So I used to write so much. And this one time she found something that I wrote and it was very intimate at my age. So that's why she put me on birth control. So I I didn't say that's why when I had mentioned she put me on birth control in Mm -hmm. the beginning, but, um, that was another reason why that she put me on birth control because she found, um, I'll call myself writing a book, you know, mm-hmm. but it was, it was, it was intimate in her eyes, you know, and she's like, where are you getting all these words from? How you know about this? You know, um, <laughs> but 
how I knew about it was I used to go to my aunt's house. Um, mm-hmm. One of my aunts, she had a boyfriend, and they used to watch, you know, intimate uh, uh, things on TV, you uh-huh. know, and, I, and and that's kind of sort of where I got a lot of things that would be going on in my mind. So, um, with that being said, you know, like I said, we, we we wasn't surprised or anything. You know, she was just very strict and very militant in the environment that I was growing up in. She just didn't want me to be a product of my environment, and I I understand it now. Now you were telling us about your aunt being strict. Did she have a reason to be strict? Girl, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, she did have a reason to be strict, you know. But when you're growing up as a kid, you don't understand the reasons. When you have other cousins, you know, other family members who their parents are letting them, you know, do things and and be under them. You know, it was almost like, you know, their parents were like friends, but they wasn't, you know, like they couldn't get over on their parents. It was like they had a closeness with them. Like I said, my aunt was very militant. Mm -hmm. So being that I used to hang with them, you know, those are the type of friends, you know, that hung at my cousin's house. You know, so I would... Right. I would be friends with them, you know, so... Um, yes, she did have a reason to be strict uh, uh, with me. You know, it was time she would call call my name. She'll say, Miss Carr, you know, (laughs) and I'll be upstairs and I'm like, when she call you by your last name, you know you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Uh I'm getting up and I'm walking down the stairs slow, like, what the heck did I do? What, What did I do? And when she asks you something, it's she already knows, so you better tell the truth, you know. Right. So yes, yeah, she she I was I was starting to get very very sneaky. So with that being said, you know, um, I found interest in uh, boys. Um, so I, I met this guy. Uh, uh, he became my boyfriend on the side. You know, I say on the side because I hid it from her. Mm-hmm. You know, he became my boyfriend, and I became pregnant at the age of 15. Later on, she found out that I was pregnant after six months because I hid it from her because of her job hours. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked Monday through Friday. I went to school Monday through Friday. On the weekends, I went to Saturday school and sometimes show team. It was like we were always missing each other. And when I did try, you know, when I did bump into her, you know, I would hold my stomach in or wear big jackets. So... One day she came to my um, competition. Um, I passed out doing a drill team move. There was another nurse present along with my mom because she's a nurse as well. And she felt a double heartbeat. She found out I was pregnant. Uh, There was so much distance in the house. You know, it was so distant, you know, because she always told me if I get pregnant, I was getting out this house. You get pregnant, you getting out this house, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And she meant it, because that's how militant she was, so I knew she wasn't lying, you know. But she she didn't put me out, but it was like, her actions was like, get out. You know, her love was like, get out. You know, conversations was like, get out. Everything was like, you know, get out. Tension, you know. So anyway, I got pregnant with my first son's father, um, and uh, he also impregnated, fathered, you know, another 
child, I was three months ahead of her. So we both were pregnant at the same time. I went through this at the age of 15, my first pregnancy, you know, thought I was in love. And um, uh, I broke up with him. And um, he he was a very good, he was a very good dad, very good dad. Um, it was just, we didn't get along, you know, after mm-hmm. he hadn't impregnated someone else, you know, and I was mad because this girl was like from the hood, you know, not only that, she was different ethnic group than I was, mm-hmm. you know, so I was very upset, you know. Um, so with that being said, um, I, I mothered uh, a son. You know, so that was my first son. Um, I couldn't continue school, and me and my aunt grew very distant. Okay, so you say your aunt became very distant. How did you feel during that time? I felt like I had let her down. And just growing up around her, you know, I missed, I missed her. You know, mm-hmm. but um, I was being grown and, you know, I kept those feelings to myself, you know, and it was crazy because growing up around her, she kept her feelings to herself as well, mm-hmm. you know, so I kept it to myself and um, I moved out, you know, I moved out and she didn't help with anything, you know, it was like, she wasn't even there when I moved out, basically, you know, so after that, I moved out, and, um, I found myself in another relationship with a long-time friend, um, found myself in another relationship, (laughs) uh, and then, um, when I moved out, I moved in with him, and his mom and his family. He had his own room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I moved me and my baby in the house with him, his mom, his family. I was with him 10 years. Um, the first two years were awesome. You know, um, I got pregnant at the age of 19. Um, I had another son. And after that, the relationship got very very, very abusive. It got mentally and physically abusive. I mean, he took he took away everything from me. It's like he stripped me of my whole identity. Um, being a social butterfly that I am, I was no longer her. You know, uh, I couldn't do anything without his permission. Um, I couldn't wear matching panties and bra. I couldn't... Um, when I, I was on a county, he took he took my money and issued it out to me. Mm. Um, when he would go to work and everybody would go to work in school, he would lock me in the house. They had one of those those locks where you can you could you lock it from the outside and from the inside. I would be locked in the house. You know, God forbid nothing ever happened like the house burned down, you know, or anything like that. But I would be locked in the house because he knew that's where I would be at. Um when I would be on the phone with any one of my friends or my family members, he was on the phone, on the other phone, listening to my conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was something in that conversation he didn't like, we, we was fighting, you know. Um, I always kept black eyes. Sometimes I had a double black eye, 
you know, and I was so scared of leaving him because of what he had instilled in me and told me if I was to ever leave him that he would find me and he would kill me. And it was almost, I believed him. I, I really believed him. Not only did I believe him, I always thought that he would change and that he would just like come around and just love me like when we first met again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what I hated was living in a house with his mom and she never did anything. She always tell me that's not her business, you know? Yeah. And I, and it was almost like I started hating her. Right. You know? And it was like, I was so alone there, you know? I will always talk to my sister because my sister was the only one I could trust was saying anything about my relationship because she wouldn't go to my other family members and tell anyone. I had a brother. My brother was from this gang in L.A. And I never wanted to tell my brother because I thought my brother just had loose screws. You know, I didn't want him to do anything that would harm my son's father because I still needed him. Well, I didn't need him. My my son needed him. So I would never tell my brother. I would never tell the guys in my family. So like I said, my sister would be the only one I would always talk to. And... um. Been in that relationship, as a, you know, for 10 years, it was like I finally had enough. You know, I finally escaped that relationship. But before I escaped that relationship, I had tried to leave, and I went to my aunt, and he came to my aunt, and he um, kidnapped me at gunpoint and took me back to his house. And we were on a high-speed chase all the way to his house. Um, with that being said, the police had, you know, caught him, took him to jail, and I left again. And that was, you know, I just, I escaped while he was in jail and I left that relationship. Um, I got to my aunt house, you know, and everybody was so mad at me because I was never telling them what was going on. And I had guy cousins, you know, girl cousins, aunties, everything, but all they would do was gossip when they got drunk. So it was almost like, you know, I didn't want to share that part of my life with them. Now, I understand when you mean when you said you don't want to tell your family, because that's how I was when I was in my domestic violence relationship. I was embarrassed because I didn't want them to say anything. I didn't want them to gossip about me. And it's just like more moreover, I'm, I was embarrassed. How did that make you feel that you couldn't go to your family to get the support you needed, even though you had all the cousins and brother to help you? How did that make you feel? It... It made me feel like so alone. It felt like I was in this world by myself, you know, with my two sons, you know. It's like, even though my oldest son's father, me and him was, you know, very good friends, he was also from a gang in the city that me and my second son lived in. I couldn't tell him either. Mm. And I think the only reason why I didn't say nothing is because I didn't want anything to happen to my son's father because he needed him more than I did. Right. I didn't, I didn't want that burden on me if something was to happen to him, even though he had abused me and I hated him, you know, I just couldn't see it in me for anything to happen to him. So after, after I left him he got out of jail. He stalked me for a while. He mm. stalked me, and that made me stay in the house. 
I was scared to go outside because I didn't know where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my aunties, they, you know, that we are from the east side. They were hood aunties, you know? You know, so my aunt was like, girl, stop being scared. Come go to the store with me. And it's like, he'll call me like, yeah, I seen you at the store in your red and white polka dot shirt with your, you know, your jeans on, with your blue shoes on. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm not going back to the store. It was crazy, you know. So I stayed in the house. I stayed in the house for a while, and I would only go places with somebody, you know. So a couple of months uh, passed by, you know, and then um, my first son, he got murdered. My first son's father got murdered, you know, and um, that was, that was, it was crazy. That was, he was my best friend, even though he had cheated on me. Like I said, he was like the best father, best friend ever. We were even thinking about rekindling our relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, you know, months went by, you know, so I moved on, got my own apartment. Finally, my f- second son's father moved on, you know, he was in a relationship. I was happy. You know, <laughs> I was so happy, you know, right. I felt like I had been relieved, you know, <laughs> so, um, so now I have my own apartment. I'm living in a city called Hartzana, California. So I meet another guy. Um, he became my boyfriend. Um, uh, I got pregnant with him by him. I'm sorry. With my third son, uh, we were together. 10 years again first two years were awesome you know the first two years you know I even told him what I had been through you know mm-hmm. I had leaned on him you know it was like he was my shoulder he was my confidant he was like my my knight in shining armor he was like somebody who had rescued me he was like there for me and was understanding and everything you know and I was just like after the two years it was another abusive relationship. I mean, it was it was crazy because it was this time I was fighting back, but I was still getting abused. You know, I was fighting back because I was like, I got to stand up for myself. You know, I can't keep letting these guys hit on me. You know, I got three boys, you know, um, I'm I'm fighting him. You know, at this point, I had moved out of out of Hartdown and, and we had moved together. You know, and he started being like my second son's father. You know, I would have to call him when I left work and talk to him all the way home. You know, it was like he would time me on getting home. And it it was like if I wouldn't get home, if I wanted to stop off and do something, I knew that we would be fighting when I get home. You know, long story short, that went on for years. You know, I finally went to my sister's house. I was like back and forth from my sister's house to his house. You know, it was to the point, my sister would be like, keep those bags packed at the front door because all he's going to do is come in here and say, I'm sorry, and you're going to leave again. I mean, that's how she, she was like, girl, just leave them, leave them um, bags packed because you're going right back. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, uh, it was one, one instant. I just didn't go back. And it was like, she was waking up like, and she OCD, so she's like, okay, it's two weeks gone by. These bags still at my dough. Like, you need to go ahead and put them in the room. You know, I, I guess you're not going back. She couldn't believe it, you know. And he started stalking me as well. I mean, he was jumping out of bushes. He was popping up at my job. Oh, my girl, girl I had a job at Home Depot. 
he would pop up at my job and I was a cash register girl. He would stand in front of my cash register. And a crazy girl, I would girl, I would not tell anybody that was my son's father. They thought he was just a stalker who liked me. And the girls in there would be like, oh, I see you got a stalker. You know, oh, he liked you. Oh, you know. But this, he's come to my job. Girl, and stand at my cash register. Girl, like, stalking me. So sometimes I would call the manager and have the manager, you know, hide me. You know, because of him, you know, he'll come in the days that he will watch my son. He'll come drunk where I was where I was working in the home decor office and home. I mean, home decor department at Home Depot. And he would come. and He dropped my son off and leave. OK, wait a minute. So you said he was stalking you at Home Depot? Girl, he was stalking me to the point he would be in the parking lot when I got to work and stay in the parking lot until I got off work. He will come in and use the restroom. He will walk through my department. I mean, it, and, and like I said, I didn't tell nobody this was my son's father. I didn't tell nobody that I knew him. I, I mean, and it was like, everybody was making fun of me. Like, oh, girl, come here, stalker. You know, and it was crazy because when they be like, oh, I seen your stalker in the parking lot, I knew it was him. You know what I'm saying? I knew he was there. Uh -huh. I mean, it was, it was crazy. So I wind, I wind up telling my manager. And so she said that she wasn't going to tell nobody and she would hide me when he come through. Cause he would come in there drunk and he do crazy things when he's drunk, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I wind up getting a restraining order and everything. Um, and the reason why I didn't want to say anything because people at Home Depot, it was like being at high school, everybody will gossip, yo, 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 um, uh, yo, yo, yo situations, you know, your situations right. be that, you know, they business. So it would just be all over Home Depot, you know? So I find myself hiding that. So after all that, you know, I just found myself, I just pulled myself away and I said, I'm not going back. So, and, um, I would blame myself a little bit too, because I would go back and forth and he was used to me going back and forth. So that time that I didn't go back when my sister was like, okay, it's two weeks in past, get this stuff out of my living room, you know? So I got, and I, I stopped working at Home Depot. I stopped working at Home Depot and I got another job that I thought he didn't know about, but he knew about it. Um, he, uh, once he came to that job, this new job while I was working at, and they had just got the windows fixed where, you know, how you write, um, write was like, you, you having like a 40% sale, you know, oh, yeah. in the store and they paint and a girl, he bust the whole entire, uh, window front. Mm -hmm. And the person who I was working for had a video and they called me in the next day early and they had me watch the video and they like this, this, this your baby daddy. You know, tell him he got to pay for my windows. And when I was looking, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning that he had went to my job and bust out the front windows. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I was just like, this is crazy. Now I'm scared to go to work. But and the crazy part was the guys who I worked for, it was it was hood, you know. Mm -hmm. It was like a cell phone shop in there. It was a, 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 a beauty salon in there, a barber shop where they cut hair. Um, in a clothing store. It was all in one. You know, they was building and adding on. And girl, these guys are from a gang, you know? And I'm just like, oh my God, you know? And I said, well, let me pay for the window. You know, so I pay for the window. Um, so after that, now he knows where I, I, I work, you know? So this one particular day, he was calling me and calling me and calling me and I didn't answer. 
you know, I didn't answer. And the crazy part was I had my friend, Shanae, her name is Shanae. She worked with me. She stopped by my sister's house since I was at my other friend's house because he had called me and stalked my sister's house all night that I had to go to one of my other friend's house and spend the night over there. So my friend Shanae stopped by my house, which was I was living at my sister's house, to pick up some clothes for me and bring them to work. Okay, so Shanae drops out the clothes. I was going to get dressed at work because I had took a bath at uh, Yolanda's house. So Shanae... Me and her, we driving to work, and she drive me off several blocks to make sure he's not around. But little, she drive me off at the front door. He, I open the door, and he comes in, and he pushes me to the ground, and he's like, you know, slapping me, stalking me, choking me out, telling me, you know, nobody can have me. Okay, so let's back that up. So you mean he went to your job and he was there when you got there? Girl, yeah, he was there when I got there, thinking that, you know, Sinead went to circle the blocks to make sure so I can get in, and we was opening. So what we was going to do was get in get in the shop, lock the door, set up everything, turn the lights, you know, everything, get the cash register running, everything, you know, it, and peep out and make sure, you know, he ain't there. But little did you know, once you drive me off, I open up and he followed me in and he pushed me to the ground. Pushed me to the ground. He's telling me, Oh, you don't want to be with me. If I can't have you, nobody can. He's on top of me, choking me, slapping me. Like we're like fighting, you know, but I'm on the ground. And at this time, they were setting up another shop inside. So it's like wood, hammers, nails, it's all type of little tools in there. So he get up off of me after he leaves me down there, he goes back to the truck. So when he goes back to the truck on his way back, he gets in, I just take a hammer and I just throw it in his direction. I wanted to hit his truck, you know, hit his truck, like tear his truck up, you know. Little did I know, my son was in a car with him and the hammer went straight through the window mm. and it hit my son in the head and it cracks my son's skull. And um, he pulls in the middle of the street this is Broadway. It's called Broadway. Broadway is a huge street. It's, it's a big street, like Sloss, and, you know, mm -hmm. it's a huge street. So, on Broadway, so he takes my son out the car, and, my, and he holds my son up, and he's like, look what you did, look what you did. And my son is lifeless, like, lifeless, like, just whatever which way his head is going. And I just seen blood everywhere. And I start to panic and have anxiety. I didn't know what I had did. I'm sorry. Oh, shoot. Good, I don't know, but I... Oh, I didn't know what I had did. So my son is lifeless. You know, it's blood everywhere. And at this time, Shanae had already called the police while he was on top of me. You know, she was always called, already called the police. But by the time the police had came, they drew guns on me and everything. They made me get on my knees, on, on the ground, handcuffed me, everything, and told me that I was going to jail for either attempted murder or manslaughter. And I'm just like, what? And at that time, when they was telling me that I was going to jail, I thought I had killed my son because oh. they said I was going to jail for attempted murder or manslaughter. And that's all they told me. So mm -hmm. at that time, I'm thinking in my head, okay, my son is dead. And at that time, when they put me in that cell, I promise you, I wanted to just kill myself. I wanted to kill myself because I could not live with the fact that I had killed my son during 
the battle that me and my son father was having. And I was the only person in that cell was nothing but cement and a, um, a cement bench. And I was thinking I've always killed myself in that, in that cell. And they left me in that cell and wouldn't tell me anything. And that's all I knew that I was going to jail for attempted murder or manslaughter. And, and they left me in there for hours, hours. So I didn't know at that time that my son was in surgery. All I was thinking was, I just killed my son and somebody needs to come in here and talk to me. I was begging and bamming on the door for somebody to come talk to me. I couldn't breathe. I need somebody to talk to, you know, I need somebody to, to tell me about God. I need somebody, I need somebody to be in here with me because I couldn't do it alone. I felt like I was just going to go to that semen bench and bam my head on that bench and, until I died. You know, I don't know what was going on. That was just like the worst, worst feeling in my life ever, ever, ever. So what do you guys think? I told you it was going to be a powerful testimony. And I know you guys are mad because I cut it off where I did, but that's part one. Because I want to make sure you guys let it resonate and then come back to next week where you're here part two. So until next time, keep on smiling. Thank you for listening to a Second Chance at Live podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please make sure you share. Until next week, keep smiling, learning, and striving for a second chance at life. <laughs>